Welcome home. I'm Dr. Tama, a minister, licensed psychologist, and sacred artist. And this is Homecoming, a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself. While I will provide weekly inspiration and mental health tips, this podcast is not the same as personalized therapy. I'm so excited you're on the journey. If you want to request specific topics or to submit a poem for me to read on the podcast, email me at homecomingpodcasts at gmail.com. Also, to build our community, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's begin. Welcome home, Cojourners. I'm glad you're here for another episode, and I'm so excited that we are joined by a special guest, Dr. Jennifer Kelly, who is both a past president of the Georgia Psychological Association and the American Psychological Association. Her area of expertise is in health psychology, and on today, we're going to talk about pain management. Welcome, Dr. Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, thank you so much for being with us. And the first question, which is just a basic question, is what is pain? Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a very, very good question. Well, you know, when you think about pain, you know that there's something. Pain is a signal that there is something wrong with your body. It's supposed to be a signal that there is something physically wrong with your body. Now, when you talk about pain, you could talk about physical pain, you could talk about emotional pain. Mm. But in this case, um, we'll specifically talk about physical pain. So the pain is a signal to your body that saying that something is wrong with the body. And so that, if you think about it that way, and it's a sign that there's something wrong and you need to pay attention to it. Okay. So that is just the first basic uh, tenet of what pain is. And I know pain can occur anywhere in the body. Are there some areas that are more common for people to have pain in? Well, I think so. What we think about, and I'm going beyond just the regular aches and pains here, but when I see the patients in my practice, I often will see things such as low back pain, Mm -hmm. okay? And most of the times those occur from some form of an injury that you have. And it's more than just a backache. We're talking about significant back pain. We see headache pain. And so that's another type of pain that I see. But usually a spinal type of pain is what we see most frequently. And that would be the low back pain or the neck pain. But in my practice, I see pain in almost every area of the body and in Mm -hmm. in different types of pain as well. Ah, okay. And who has increased risk for pain? Well, one of the things that we find out, it's not just a risk of pain, but it's more chronic pain is what we're talking about. So when you think about pain, you want to think about how does the pain interfere with your ability to function, to have a quality of life. So you think about it interfering with your social life, your occupational life. And so that's when they will come to someone like me to help them manage the pain. And so who would be more at risk of chronic pain? Mm-hmm. What the research is showing is that women are more at risk of having chronic pain, more severe pain, pain in multiple areas of their body, and they're more disabled from pain. 
Mm. Uh, so now we're talking about the chronic pain. When you talk about acute pain, that's usually like post-op pain or some form of injury that you can get over. And that's from like zero to three months. And the subacute is from three to six months. And then the chronic pain is usually six months or over. Okay. And it's just pain that will not go away. Mm, okay. And by the time people come to you, my guess is they've probably been dealing with it for a while. Yes, because usually if I can get them like right after the accident and that would be really good because you get the best results the sooner you can see them. But that's not usually the way it happens. So they've gone through multiple surgeries and other interventions typically. And then when they don't get better, then they end up getting referred to me. And by that time, the pain becomes more entrenched as chronic. And then you start seeing some of the, the psychological correlates of the pain because it's been interfering with their life so much and interpersonal relationships, jobs and things uh, as such. Yeah. And do you see some people who deal with lack of belief because it's not maybe not physical evidence of either family, friends or jobs not believing that they're experiencing the pain? It's a very interesting thing. Yes, I see that a lot. And the, the interesting thing is about pain is that people don't understand the pain really that well unless they've had the pain. Mm. And it's like, well, aren't you better by now? Why are you not better? Because the interesting thing about pain is that you don't see the pain. You don't see that there's a cast on the leg that you know that there's something that's going on. So a lot of the times the people, they suffer in silence. It's like, well, what's wrong with that person? I'm, I, she has chronic pain. What do they mean by chronic pain? Mm. You know, you take a, don't you take a Tylenol or Advil and you can go on with your life. Well, those are the people who end up suffering from the pain because not only is it interfering with their ability to function, but they end up losing a lot of the social support that they had because people just don't understand it. Mm -hmm. So that's an important piece to get the individual to understand it, but also for their supports to be more understanding. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to do is to work with the uh, significant others and to help them to understand it. Now, the other thing that's very interesting is that if I think about working with a person who's been injured on the job, the job doesn't care. All they want to know is you're going to come back to do your work. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I do is I try to work with the employer to help them to understand that this person has a physiological basis for that pain and suffering that they have. And we can try to get them back to work, but there's no guarantee that that can happen and try to get them to be understanding and supportive of the employee, especially the valued employees who've been around for an extended period of time. Yes. And can you talk about the relationship between stress and pain or chronic pain? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that we do know is that even though that may be an identifiable physiological basis for the pain, that we know that there are certain things that can serve to exacerbate the pain, make it worse, that can maintain the pain. And then one of those is stress. And it ends up being part of that a vicious pain cycle. So you can end up having pain over a period of time. Then that's stress. 
The stress can come from the fact that you know you're having now financial issues because you're not able to work and bring in the income. You're not able to do your household responsibilities. So now you're having stress. Now who's going to prepare those meals and do the chores around the home? So you're having the stress from that. And then interpersonal relations end up getting affected. You can't engage in sexual relations with your partner like you had done in the past. And so you start seeing all these changes. And so you end up feeling all this stress from this, right? And then it leads to depression. And guess what? So then you have the depression. And what ends up happening is that although the depression can be, and this depression can be secondary to the pain, it ends up serving to exacerbate the pain. So you have to address the stress, the depression, as well as looking, managing it from the physical basis as well. So you can't, just like with other forms of areas of mental illness or things, physical illness, you can't separate the mind from the body. So you have to attack both of them. Yes. And I'm sure it may vary by part of the body, but what are some strategies or tips to help people to cope or to manage the pain? Oh, that's really good. So one of the things to understand is, as we just mentioned, that stress can serve to exacerbate the pain. So one of the things that I do with people is I try to help them to manage the stress effectively. And so I was like, okay, let's identify the stresses. Let's look at appropriate ways of managing these stresses. Uh, The second thing you want to do is be aware of the depression that you have. And so I want to help them with management of the depression. And I always think of less is best when it comes to medication. But we do know that one of the most effective treatments of depression when it gets to be severe is the combination of medication management and psychotherapy. So I will work with the psychiatrist or whatever doctors prescribe. It could be the pain management physician or it could be the primary care doc that would prescribe the medications. I'll work with them with that. Another thing that you want to do, which is really important, is to modulate your activity level. So you want to do everything you can to avoid what we call the boom bust cycle, where it's like you got to do everything today. No, you can't do everything today because you do everything today within those three hours, then you're going to be in bed for the next three days. Yeah. So how do you modulate your activity level? So you want to take your medications appropriately, manage stress, modulate your activity level, and understand that there are certain things that can make the pain worse, such as changes in the weather. So you will expect that those kinds of things would happen, and then you manage the pain more effectively during those times, because you know that it's not going, that acute exacerbation will not last forever. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the arguments people give against using pain medicine, and how do you usually respond? Yes, I think that we talk about pain medicines. We're talking about opioids or we're talking about other kinds of medications. The way I always look at it is that less is best. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, and I always tell my, um, the patients that I work with that if you're going to be on opioids and the physician prescribes opioids, I want you to understand that there will be challenges related to that. Number one is that opioids can end up impacting on your ability to think, to concentrate. It kind of slows your body down. And the other thing will happen is that you'll develop tolerance to the medication where it takes more and more 
of that medication to give you the same effect. So next thing you know, you're going to have this dependence on that medication. And then what ends up happening is that you have to you end up becoming dependent, not just on the medication, but on that physician mm-hmm. to prescribe that medication for you. Mm-hmm. And so what if that physician uh, decides that they're going to retire or move? Well, you may not have another physician that's going to give you that. And there are other things that you have to think about. So I'm in the state of Georgia and you have to do drug testing. Mm. And so now in the end, every 30 days, you have to go and get drug tested in order to get your prescription of the opioids. Oh, okay. Uh, And so, you know, but the thing that's just been really interesting that I found is that I've had patients who just felt like they could not function without the opioids. They cannot function without them. And for whatever reason, for various reasons, they eventually end up weaning themselves off that medicine. And guess what? What? The pain level is the same without the opioids as they are with the opioids. That is very interesting. Uh But the other thing that's interesting about the opioids is that at some point, you don't know what you're taking the opioids for. Are you taking it to avoid the impact that you can get from the withdrawal from it? Or Mm. is it really making an impact on the pain? Mm -hmm. Because you've been on it for so long, so you don't even know what Mm. it would be like if you didn't have it. Uh Uh-huh. Are there any natural remedies that you have found helpful? Well, yes, there are many natural remedies that people have found. But it's the other thing, I'm smiling because the biggest things that people are looking at now is medical marijuana. Yes. Okay. And mm-hmm. so, with, you know, you could talk about the CBD oil, but you also can talk about the medical marijuana, which they now have in Georgia. They allow that to happen. And if you talk about things like not being able to sleep, and it really can make a difference. And I've had patients that have said that the medical marijuana, they had certain THC levels make a difference with their pain. Now, we could, people can argue whether that's natural or not natural, mm-hmm. but we have found that it can be effective and it is approved for chronic pain in Georgia. And, you know, but the thing that I like to do myself It's like, let's use the mind. Okay, what's more natural than the mind to help you manage uh, with Mm. the pain? Okay, so we start thinking about the cognitive behavior strategies and we want to work on the catastrophic thought processes about the pain, the depression. Can you explain the catastrophic thought Uh processes? Yeah. Yes. This is the worst pain that I can have. I want to die. Mm. Nobody, my life is over. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the studies have shown is that having those catastrophic thought processes is the one of the number one things that can lead to disability. Uh-huh. And interestingly, what the research has also shown, because we know that females, women, end up being more disabled from pain than uh, males. And one of they're trying to figure out what are some of those factors that contribute to that? Why is that? Well, one of the things is that they have the catastrophic thinking. Mm-hmm. I can't clean the house. I'm not a good mother. Mm-hmm. I can't have sex with my spouse. I'm not a mm-hmm. good wife. I'm not a good spouse. I see. Yeah. And so you bring that back and you challenge those negative thoughts and work with that. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of my time working with them in the, the negative thinking, the negative thought processes, helping them to learn meditation, mm-hmm. relaxation. Because though we know that those are things that can help you manage with the pain. Mm-hmm. And does exercise help or make it more difficult? 
Oh, exercise absolutely helps because you want to be conditioned. Now, the thing about the exercise is that you want to make sure that you're exercising with what the physician says that you can do within the limits of what you're going to be able to do. So I always look at it like there's a box. And actually, your function is in this box. So you can take that box and you kind of stretch it out a little bit and see what you can do. And if it gets to be too much, you got to come back a little bit, stretch it out a little bit more, see what you can do. And so you start increasing your endurance, your function and your conditioning over time. But I always want to make sure that we get the go ahead from the physician working with the patient and the physical therapist. And so one of the things that happens with chronic pain is that you become deconditioned. So if your functioning level was at a 10 before the pain and then, you know, it keeps decreasing downward, downward, downward and you end up having a functioning of two, then let's see, what what can your function be? Okay, realistically, maybe it could be at a six. Well, let's try to get it back at that six because there are many things you can do at a six. Mm-hmm. So when I think about that, it's like, okay, let's be realistic here. You're not going to be at a 10, but we don't want you to be at a two. And you know, if the, if the doc says we can get you to a six, let's work on getting to that six. So mm-hmm. you can have the best quality of life possible, given some of the challenges that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So remembering that while you may not be able to do everything you used to be able to do, you can likely do more than you're doing right now. You can do more. Yeah. And so part of that is acceptance. And acceptance is not giving up. Mm-hmm. It's just allowing yourself to acknowledge that there are some things that you're not going to be able to do. And it to me, it gives you the power to use some of the strategies and to move forward with Mm. your life, given the realities of your situation. Yes. And have you found either in your practice or in the research, any cultural or religious differences? Yes. And so different people manage with pain in very different kinds of ways. And, And, you know, part of that is the culture and some of the expectations that occur within the culture as well. So one of the things that I try to do is I try to, I meet the patient where they are. Okay. And that means I look at, you know, your gender, I look at your race, and I look at some of the cultural and ethnic factors there. And let's work with that. And so that's meeting them with where they are, knowing where I think that they can get at. Mm -hmm. But I have to, I can't go in there saying this is where you can be. But I take all those factors into account in working with them. Yes. And have you seen, I'm sure you have, unhealthy coping strategies? What are some things that people do that may be making it worse or that may be destructive to try to relieve the pain? Oh, uh, yeah. One of the main ones is alcohol. Yeah. Uh And so one of the things that they do is they find that, you know, that alcohol, it helps me to sleep because I can't sleep with this pain that I have. And I'm like, okay, now how much are you drinking here? Mm -hmm. So I find that that would be a very, very challenging strategy. And the other one is that the overuse of the medications, of the narcotics, the opioids, to help uh, manage the pain. And one of the things that was happening is that when there was this big push to, uh, when we had the opioid, we still are in an opioid crisis. But what was going on is that the CDC had issued these guidelines, which basically said that opioids are bad. Nobody should have opioids. You know, they get this blanket statement, nobody should have opioids for managing the pain. 
And so I, I knew that once they did that, the insurance companies would couldn't wait to get on that and jump on that bandwagon. And they started saying they didn't want any patients to be on opioids. And, the, and then they started targeting the docs who were prescribing opioids, right? And so what ended up happening is that these doctors just stopped giving these opioids to these patients. And, you know, it's not like helping them to get strategies to manage with it better, but they just took them off of the opioids. And what ended up happening, guess what they were doing? They started going to the streets to get their mm. drugs. Yeah. And so, and, and when you go on the streets to get your drugs, there's no telling what you're getting. Now, yes. there are fentanyl patches that you can get, but you get fentanyl off the street. You don't know what's in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's when you start seeing all these increase in the overdoses. Yes. All the opioid overdoses because you don't know what it is that you're getting. Mm-hmm. So I think that the, that's the other coping strategy that's destructive, I think. And the other one is really inactivity and to just become a couch potato and you just let the world pass you by. And so what ends up happening is that your world becomes so small. Yeah. Your world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. And then it gets confined to your home. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It's easier to be confined to your home now than what it was 10 right. years ago because they had, 10 years ago, you had to go to the grocery store, right? Mm-hmm. Now all you got to do is dial DoorDash or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And everything that comes right to your door. Mm-hmm. And so that's how closed your world can be. Mm-hmm. I can talk about this forever. I love it. This is so helpful. And mm-hmm. I know not only do we have people listening who live with pain, but we have the loved ones as well. So what would be your message to the family and friends of someone who's living with chronic pain? The other thing that the research has shown, because previously they talked about how family members can serve as a way of a barrier to people getting better because it reinforces pain behavior because you're doing these things for the patient. But one of the things that the research has shown now is that how the family support and encouragement that's so important to that person getting better. So to please understand that the person is suffering and you want to help them. And it's not just helping them by doing things for them, but it's helping them by helping them get out of the home, helping them to engage in life more, kind of meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And let's work on improving where you can be and do a little bit here, a little bit there, and try to encourage them to have a better quality of life. Yes. Oh, that is so important. And as we prepare to wrap up, two more questions. One, is there a common myth or misperception that you would like to correct in terms of what people think about pain or chronic pain? Well, I would say that the myth is that they want to be disabled, Mm. that, you know, they get enjoyment with all of these things around them. Who wants to be suffering? Who wants to have their life like that? And it may look to you that this person is getting joy by this attention that they're getting, but no, that person is suffering. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be up to you to help pull them out of that. And if you've had chronic pain, you'll know that there is nothing enjoyable about the chronic pain. Yes. Are there any books or apps or a website that you would recommend? Yeah, there's a really, really good workbook out there. I mean, there are so many books out there about pain, but one that I really like 
And I actually work it uh, with my patients. We go through that in this book that's called, and it's a workbook, and you can get it off of Amazon. And you can get this until I get my workbook together and out. Yes, and we will get yours and have you back. Yeah, yeah this one is called Managing Pain Before It Manages You. And it's really a good book because it helps you to understand pain and teaches you ways of managing with the pain, like relaxation, training, meditation types of things, and really talk about assertiveness, how to work with the physicians that are treating you, how to navigate the healthcare system. Having pain is another whole different world. So how can anybody want to enjoy that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But it's managing pain before it manages you. Okay, excellent. And would you like to share your website or social media or any ways people can connect with you? Yes. And so it's drjenniferkelly.com, D-R-J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-K-E-L-L-Y.com. And that is my website. Oh, well, I am so appreciative. And I know this was really helpful information. And so to our listeners, I invite your soul to tell your heart, mind, body, and spirit, welcome home. Welcome home.